Hey guys and welcome to our pod, Two Talking Teachers LCPE. My name's Anne-Marie Logue and this is Mary Gagan. Well Mary, how are you getting on? I'm good, yeah. Very excited this week, getting the nails done tomorrow and the hair done next week. Jeez, you'll be a new woman, we won't recognise you. Um, well, do you want to introduce us to our topics that we're going to go through today? Yes, yeah, so today we are looking at psychological preparation. So we'll be looking at things like confidence, self-efficacy, motivation, concentration and feedback. So we'll go into all of those in detail. Very good, let's get started. Right, so looking at the psychological preparation for performance. So when we think of psychology, we're thinking of the study of the nature and the function of the mind. So how we think, um, concentration, how certain things affect us and how it might affect our performance. So we've kind of looked at um, where it used to be very much skill level and ability level. Um, over recent years, a lot of um, elite athletes, the difference has uh, and the margin between success and failure has really, really become very small. And um, kind of the, the margin there quite often can be the psychological preparation um, or the difference between it can be how, how that athlete has psychologically prepared themselves. So there's various psychological factors influence an, an athlete's ability really to perform. And when we kind of look at them, we'll see many of them are actually interlinked. Now, when we look at um, how the psychological factors can impact an athlete's performance, we do actually look at the mental preparation um, before the event, during the event and after the event or competition or match, whatever it is. Um, and actually 90% of their success, so that athlete's success, comes from mental training and psychological preparation so it's crazy to think that much um it actually impacts the performance and elite performers really that determine factors of success often lies in that psychological um, preparation now the first area we're going to look at is confidence now confidence can basically be the winning and losing of an event um and confidence levels changes over time as well. So it's kind of like an ability's belief in their own ability to carry out a specific task. So if you don't have that belief and if you're not confident in yourself, sometimes your mind can play tricks with you and it will hinder that performance. So you're thinking about like stepping up for a penalty kick, um, you know, captain in your team, uh, you know, believing in yourself that you're going to win that race you know, win that match, whatever it might be. And it really is the difference um, between successful and unsuccessful um, competitors in sport. And again, like that, it can change over time. So you could be very confident this season, but next season, you know, you might have finished on a, on a poor performance, on a loss, um, you know, you might have got some stick on the media or whatever it could be. And you could actually then really uh, drop in confidence levels and that could actually really hinder the performance. Now, there's different strategies that you can use to improve your confidence. And I think the first one is just thinking confidently. So if you believe it, you can do it. 
And I think our main kind of example there would be Conor McGregor, where he is so confident, bursting with confidence when he came out. And he was winning all around him. Um, and I think he really, really believed in it and, and you know, told everyone he, he was the best and told everyone he was going to win. And, and he did. And you know what? Sometimes that uh, belief in yourself and that confidence really, as we said, can be the difference between winning and losing. Um, I guess taking ownership as well of your confidence and then that can boost yourself and others. Uh, different routines. So you might have a set warm up routine um, before a certain, uh, say, maybe free throw in basketball. You might do a certain routine before a free kick in Gaelic, um, before you do take your serve in tennis, whatever that might be, a routine is important. Uh, another one is mental imagery. So actually picturing what it is you're going to do. So looking at it and seeing, right, I'm actually going to kick this ball over the black spot uh, in Gaelic football. Right, I'm actually looking at it, I'm picturing it, I'm going to do it. Um, and I guess then as well, it's kind of identifying areas um, that you're confident in and areas then that you might need improvement in. And then you can look to set yourself some targets. And I suppose this will in turn then lead you to improving your confidence over time in areas that you mightn't be as confident in. Now, if we look then at self-efficacy, so self-efficacy is more specific than confidence. So it's really looking at that person or that athlete's belief that they have the capacity and the skills to achieve their goals. So it can be influenced by many different things. So if we look at somebody that has a strong sense of self-efficacy, they look at problems in sport as challenges. So they don't look at them as something that's going to be scary, that they're going to shy away from. They look at it as a challenge and they want to overcome that challenge. They've a really big interest in the sport that they are playing or that they're competing in um, and they want to win. They have a strong sense of commitment to their sport. So again, it's not just kind of doing it for the sake of doing it. They really have that deep love for it. And if they do get a disappointment or a setback, they don't just kind of wallow in that. They bounce back quickly and they get ready again to overcome any challenges or disappointments that might be there. So that's really, really important. Um, and then on the opposite side, those that have a weak sense of self-efficacy, they, you know, if there's something that's quite challenging, they avoid it. Um, they think that they're not going to be able to overcome those challenges or problems. And they, they really focus in on the negatives. So any sort of personal failures they might have, that's what they're really focusing in on. So it's, it's really important that you do have that self-belief um, and that you have that strong sense of, I can do it. So the next area we're going to look at is motivation. And we've looked at motivation in quite a few topics. Um, and I suppose if we are motivated, this is really going to help us um, to reach our optimum performance. And I suppose we have to look at two main types of motivation for this. Um, intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. So the intrinsic motivation, that's inside you. So it's your desire to participate in an activity for the fun or the enjoyment. Um, it's also the motivation to develop skills uh, due to their value to the activity. So you're going to do that because you know they're going to help you. Um, as well, it gives you that desire to participate 
because you really want to do it. You want to do it yourself. And you get feelings of satisfaction and you've got your overall well-being. You've got that personal accomplishment as well. Um, and you really have the strongest kind of form of motivation from an athlete if you have that good intrinsic motivation. So you're doing it for you. Whereas then on the other hand, we've got the extrinsic motivation. So that doesn't come from yourself. That comes from somewhere else or someone else. Um, so it might be that you're doing it to get the trophy or the medal, or you're doing it to get the money or the sponsorship deals or the fame. Um, you know, it's not because you have that love necessarily for the sport. So like that, um, you can have the, the, you know, getting the trophies and getting the financial gain or rewards from that. That's your tangible. But then on the other side, we have the intangible. So that would be maybe from your coach getting recognition, getting praise um, as well. It could be from your peers or family members even getting that praise or recognition for doing well. Um, and I suppose this one needs to be kind of looked at um, to make sure that you combine both of these um, to make sure that the athlete doesn't, I suppose, get demotivated. So if we give too much to an athlete with praise and rewards, they might end up getting bored. So it's easy um, to, to kind of throw things at people to get them to do something. But how can you keep them doing that? So I suppose the way we look at it is the extrinsic motivation might give us that initial push so they kind of draw us in and then we have to try focus on getting that intrinsic motivation because once we get that initial push we we found out that we enjoy the activity it, it makes us feel good and then we're able to keep going on our own without having all these external or extrinsic um, motivations pushed towards us with prizes or money or praise. So I suppose then we're kind of looking at strategies to enhance motivation in sport and the importance of the role of the coach in doing this. So it's really, really important um, that the coach enhances the athlete's motivation and how they do that. So it's kind of, I suppose, creating an environment that fosters or allows for a motivational climate in there. Um, the best coaches will foster intrinsic motivation to inspire their players um, to get to their optimum performance. They'll do this then by, I suppose, creating a positive training environment. So it should be a training environment that's positive, should be one where there's clear achievable goals and people know what they're doing. Uh, it's fun and it's enjoyable. And what they're doing in training then, you know, easily or clearly shows in competitive events. Communication is a really important factor here where coaches need to be able to um, communicate appropriately with their players, with their athletes. Um, I suppose it shouldn't just be all the coach talking and not listening to the players. So they must be listened to. And I suppose they felt like their voices are valued as well. Um, so it needs to be communication needs to be a two way street where both the coach and the athletes are being heard um, and listened to. Then enjoyment levels. It's really, really massive. 
Like obviously when you're starting out at that cognitive stage, the beginner stage, enjoyment levels need to really be um, the key focus, I suppose, to, to make sure that um, the athletes or the players really, really, I suppose, fall in love with the sport and want to play it. But even as you get older, as you move into the associative stage and the autonomous stage of your learning, your skills and um, the training sessions still need to have a fun and enjoyable um, part to it. While obviously, you know, they need to be serious and target specific, you know, so you're meeting your training goals, but there has to be an element of fun or enjoyment in there as well. Because if there is not, motivation could go out the window, basically. Um, I suppose then another one is being positive. So, it's really important to look because athletes will go through highs where they're winning, where they're showing their best performance, and then they'll go through lows where quite possibly they didn't show their best performance, where they might be injured and that's t- playing a lot on their mind. It's affecting their motivation. It's affecting their training and so on. Um, so it's really, really important that we look at this. So you know, we obviously have to celebrate our successes, but we have to look at our failures as well. But make sure that we don't, I suppose, focus in on that failure too much um, because it really can impact an athlete's motivation for the worst. Um, so failure shouldn't be punished. I know some people, including myself over the years with training, if we ever lost a match, some trainers or some coaches would end up making you run and run and run almost to punish you, to say, well, you lost, you didn't show your best performance, uh, and now we're going to punish you. That doesn't always work for everybody. So it's really, really important, instead of doing that punishment and demotivating the athletes or your players or your team, it's looking at, well, why didn't we succeed? What is it that we went down on? How can we improve? And I suppose then setting goals to avoid it happening again. Um, but like that as well, it's really important to celebrate the successes, but look at how we can improve um, with the with the failures as opposed to punish the failures. And then we're looking at goal setting and using goal setting really to improve mental preparedness for sport. Um, and this really can have a positive impact on an athlete or on a player's motivation. So it's challenging themselves to achieve their best. And this really is um, a main focus for intrinsic motivation because it's you wanting to improve part of your game or part of your um, skill set. So that really, really um, is important there. And I suppose we look at our SMART goals when we're doing that. So they're specific, measurable, attainable, um, they're realistic and they're time bound as well. So it really can help you um to be successful and then again on that that will improve the motivation and the will and the want to keep playing so if we move on then to concentration and concentration levels i suppose what it is is focusing your mind just on the one task that you're doing so it's looking at then the different elements that are actually Um, going on around you at the same time but they're not actually relevant so I suppose the example here would be basketball free throw what you should be focusing your attention on and concentrating on is the ball the distance to the basket and the angle 
to the basket. You should be ignoring the noise of the crowd, the opposition team as they're lined up, um, and maybe the score in the game. So it's how you can actually apply that attention in the correct way. Um, and I suppose that applied attention is something that needs to be worked on. And this has to be done prior to the event, prior to the match, prior to the fight, whatever it is that you've actually practiced this in your training sessions. So if you're looking then at focusing your attention, you're paying attention to the key factors. So if we go back to our basketball example, that's the ball, the distance and the angle to the basket. And you're trying to look then at what is the distractions. So that's the noise of the crowd, the score of the game, the opposition team. So it really, your training sessions really need to simulate real competition environments. And what that simulate means is that they need to be like a copy of it. So there's no point you in a training session being in, in front of the basket at the free throw line all by yourself in complete silence. Because in a game situation, that's not going to be the case. So you need to do it that there's another team there. So obviously your teammates in a, in a training session, there needs to be noises, there needs to be crowd noises, somebody may be shouting, um, and there needs to be a little bit more of that real game-like um, competition in your training sessions. So you are putting your concentration levels under pressure, and you are have to practice them before the game itself. So athletes then need to control emotions and arousal. So again, so they can avoid basically any sort of distractions during the game or during their event and stay focused on the task at hand. So what exactly it is that they're doing and how they can avoid any of those distractions. So another strategy then is thought stopping and centering. So that's where negative thoughts can be detrimental to your concentration. So it's how you can actually eliminate or stop those negative thoughts um, during your event or during your match. So there's different things that can be used. So you can uh, use attention to focus on positivity. You can approach sports, uh, sports situations with high levels of confidence. So that's going back to those confidence levels, going in with the belief that you can do it. You are the best. Um, you can apply thought stopping when negative thoughts arise. So if something negative is creeping into your mind, you're automatically replacing that with something positive and refocusing. Um, so you'll see people, you'll see they're taking deep breaths um, before they carry out that skill. So you'll see them in through the nose, out through their mouth. They've got their routine. They're refocusing themselves. They have that time because it is a free throw or a free kick. Um, and they, that will, you know, I suppose, re-get them rebalanced concentration levels are back and they're focused on the task at hand so feedback then again is really really important and we know that it's very important in skill development especially in that um, cognitive stage with the positive um, feedback um, but I suppose this can really affect motivation and confidence and having an impact on an athlete's performance um, if it's not done correctly. So how feedback is given um, can either motivate or it can negatively impact a, a performer or an athlete. So coaches need to be very careful and they need to consider the following when they are given feedback. 
So they need to look at, you know, maybe the culture and nature of the group. They need to look possibly at the gender of the group and at the age of the group as well. And I suppose what stage your performers are at, whether they're at that cognitive beginner stage or whether they're at that autonomous elite performer stage. So just like with the motivation, with feedback, we have intrinsic feedback and extrinsic feedback. So all athletes will receive intrinsic feedback because that's from themselves. So when we have kinesthetic, that's how we're actually feeling it or doing the movement. So every time you do a movement or perform a movement or carry out a skill, you've actually got the feel for it. So an example there would be the way your foot felt when you struck a ball. So when you kick that ball, you know automatically if it's going to be accurate or not with the way it felt on your foot. Did it clip the right side of your foot, the inside, the outside? Did it come off your laces? Where was it? And you know if it's going to be good or not the second um, it touches that foot. So again, then we have hearing and sight. So, you know, you can see if the ball didn't go where it was supposed to. Or you can hear, a, a, you know, a, a player's steps as they're running behind you, chasing you in a, in a match or in a game. So they're all kind of kinesthetic hearing and sight. So you can hear or see what's actually going on. Sometimes these are useful, sometimes they're not. Um, if you're uh, running and you can hear uh, and you're on the ball and you can hear somebody's steps coming behind you, sometimes that will play mind games with you and it put you off. They could be way behind you and would never catch you, but they might force you to make a pass quicker than you would and not be as successful because, you know, that kind of uh, played on your mind. So with this thing, it's really important that the athlete or the player um, knows how to process that, that intrinsic feedback and knows how to deal it, deal with it and use it to their advantage so that they actually do uh, perform to their best. So an example here then would be um, of a close skill and it would be putting in golf. So again, there's, you know, there obviously is pressure, but there's no one um, chasing you you know you have all the time you need um, and I suppose if the crowd roars you need to be able to kind of I suppose filter different elements of that so it doesn't increase your anxiety levels so that then you're able to move on take your next shot um, because otherwise your concentration levels are gone or if your arousal has gone up too high um, you know that that will prevent you from focusing on the next job at hand which is your next shot so then moving on to extrinsic feedback the main source for extrinsic feedback would be your coach and it's really important that the coach i suppose knows the best way to do this so we have knowledge of results and knowledge of performance and some coaches are great at knowledge of results um, which sometimes can be negative. So if a player misses a shot in a football match, the player knows that. The coach telling them that they've missed the shot is not really going to do them any favours here. It's probably going to negatively impact the player because the player already knows that. They saw that they missed it. That's their vision, their intrinsic feedback. The coach, they're already annoyed at themselves because they've missed it. Their coach now also tells them that they've missed it so now they're like well now the coach has told me I've missed it 
and that that increases the pressure or increases their anxiety levels. Whereas if that player misses a shot, the coach tells the player how to change the technique. So this is their knowledge of performance. So how that will improve or help um, that feedback will help the player is that the player will know next time they go for that shot, will they'll be able to, you know, maybe change what technique they use, change their angle, change um, their foot positioning, whatever it might be. And hopefully they will see success. So the difference there between knowledge of results and knowledge of performance, when we have knowledge of performance and the coach gives that constructive feedback, we would hope that there would be improvement. Um, whereas with knowledge of results, the coach just telling the player what they did wrong, um, you know, you're not really getting success there and the player beco- could become demotivated from that type of feedback. The real key for uh, giving feedback is selecting the right time to give that feedback. So with that, you know, selecting the right time to give that feedback, it's important to give the feedback sooner rather than later. So if you can give it straight away, then do so they can change it and improve before the game is over or before the performance is over. And that would hopefully then increase confidence levels and motivation levels in the athlete. Better to give more frequent feedback than not. Um, But, you know, be careful that you don't overload the athlete with feedback. Um, I suppose when it's quite technical, given small pieces of information at a time, rather than, uh, you know, given four or five different pieces and overloading the athlete again. And... It's really important as well that you're given your positive feedback and your constructive feedback. So you're saying, you know, what someone did well and then how they can improve as well. Right, guys. So we are moving on to our quick fire round. So we should know how it goes by now um, where I'm going to ask five questions and I'm just going to leave a little gap. If you don't have long enough, just press pause to give yourself an extra couple of seconds and just see, do you know the answers to them? If you don't, no problem. Just rewind, listen um, again and see, because I know we all zone out at times. So first question, define what is meant by the term psychological preparation. So define what is meant by the term psychological preparation. Question two, explain the difference between two named forms of motivation. Explain the difference between two named forms of motivation. Question three, discuss two strategies that can be used to help an athlete enhance their concentration skills. So discuss two strategies that can be used to help an athlete enhance or improve their concentration skills. Question four, identify two strategies a coach could use to help their athletes improve their levels of confidence. 
identify two strategies a coach could use to help their athletes improve their levels of confidence. And last one, compare different types of feedback and their benefits in supporting athletes. Compare different types of feedback and their benefits in supporting athletes. Okay, guys, so as I said, if you didn't have enough time on those, just press pause, go back, rewind, or if something wasn't uh, coming to your mind, just rewind and have another quick listen. Okay, so that brings us to our current affairs section for today. Um, we're going to look at confidence and self-efficacy, and I suppose the similarities and the differences there. So, Amory, what have you for us on this? Um, I suppose so the first person that springs to mind when we talk about confidence is definitely Conor McGregor. So we all know him as a MMA fighter. Um, Conor McGregor is just confidence in a nutshell, I suppose. Um, even from everything to the way he walks, talks, the way he dresses, everything. He, he just bigs himself up all the time. And I suppose it is that talking yourself up. And I think he, he genuinely... Uh, the more he talks himself up, the more he starts to believe that he is the best. Um, so we know Conor McGregor off the top of our heads. However, self-efficacy is one of those um, words that people don't fully understand most of the time. So it's all about having belief in your abilities um, as opposed to just believing that you are the best for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. um, so Katie Taylor, like the proof is in the pudding with her. She is the undisputed... Um, uh, lightweight champion of the world at the moment um, and she has just so many belts and she has so many awards and um, I and she doesn't boast about it or rub it in anyone's face the way that I suppose Conor McGregor would so if we're looking at similarities there they both are um, fantastic in their their sporting um, achievements there but the differences there are like Katie Taylor would be very humble um, and Conor McGregor would be considered quite um, maybe arrogant in another word. Um, Mary, what's your thoughts on this? Well, um, my class know that I wouldn't be the biggest uh, Conor McGregor fan at all. Uh, while, yes, he's absolutely, he has been absolutely fantastic. And he's shown, you know, that he has been the best at times. Um, you know, I suppose he changed up his weight and, you know, he obviously took him a while to get going with that. And then there was a few different parts outside of the the octagon that was causing him bother. Um, and I suppose social media and media itself and all of that really kind of didn't do him any favours as such. Um, but I suppose, as they say, any publicity is good publicity, you know, that sort of way. So um, confidence with, with Conor McGregor, absolutely. Amory, as you said, he walks the walk and he talks the talk. Um, but to me, he's very cocky. And I suppose when he was winning, it was kind of justified for him to be acting the way he was. But when you're not winning, then it's hard for you to justify like you being able to to be saying I'm the best and I'm going to do this, that and the other, do you know, like whereas with Katie Taylor, she's just fabulous to watch. Her abilities are just throughout 
through this world basically um and then when you hear her speak she's just so calming and softly spoken and she doesn't boast or gloat or you know you know she she'll kind of say like i still have things to work on and that but she is so confident in her abilities and she she will say yes i'm going to win but it's the way she says it there is a difference between the way she speaks and the way conor mcgregor speaks and that would be i suppose showing the difference between that confidence and self-efficacy like i actually listened to one of her post-match interviews there the last day and she was crediting the the other female boxer that Mm -hmm. she was fighting and she was saying how well she did and how well they both fought and I just thought that was actually such good sportsmanship to acknowledge the hard work and determination that both of them had put in so she wasn't just taking that um, win for herself she was almost saying look I actually appreciate that you put up a good fight there because that, that helps me become better as well. Oh, absolutely. And like, what a great fight it was. Like, scorecards, I think there was like a point between each of the scorecards, which was absolutely, that's the kind of fight you want to watch. Do you know, you don't want to watch someone get get absolutely annihilated. And yes, I know everyone loves a, a knockout, which wouldn't be Katie's strength. Um, but again, it's kind of, if a match goes on a bit longer, you know, and, and it's really that close that neither boxer or neither fighter knows who's won and they're waiting for the referee to put the hand up i think like that sort of match is absolutely brilliant to me anyway yeah that's the suspense and the the arousal there i suppose as well Mm. for the for the spectators but no they they are definitely the two that would spring to mind as in we can definitely see the difference there between the confidence in conor mcgregor and the self-efficacy in katie taylor and that would just be a fantastic um current affair or example to use in any um exam question going forward i did i think anyway yeah absolutely um right i think we'll leave that one there for today so uh we'll uh talk to you all in the next episode okay talk to you soon